Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. So today, rather than me trying to come up with with another example of being the easiest place, um, I'm going to let Jesus explain what that looks like, because that's exactly what Jesus did once while sitting around a table, sharing a meal with others. Here's how Luke described it. It's in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. New Living Translation says, One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. So right there, we know what the crowd's like. If this is a leader of the Pharisees, then everyone around the table is going to be his friends. So they're going to be other leaders, movers, and shakers in the community. And it says, And the people were watching him, watching Jesus. Right? They were watching him closely. So picture this. Jesus has been invited to this, to this dinner with all these you know, socially... Uh, hoity-toity people in the, in, the, in the city, right? And when he gets there, they're all watching him because they want to see what he's going to do, right? Skip down to verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Now, now Jesus noticed that as he's sitting around the table, some of the people were trying to elbow their way up to what they called the seats of honor. And the way that that worked back then, whoever was hosting the banquet was, was set in the seat of honor, right? And, and rightly so. But the seats that were closest to him were called the seats of honor. And so oftentimes people would try to get in one of those seats because that kind of indicated that, you know, yeah, that you, you were special as well if you got, in, got to sit in one of those seats of honor. So Jesus noticed that, you know, that this is going down. And then uh, picture this. He's sitting around the table, and then he says this in verse 8, Luke 14, verse 8. He speaks up. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is an invited guest, all right? He sees these hoity-toity people trying to get up to the seats of honor, and he says this. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? So, so Jesus sees this jockeying for a position as people are trying to get to the seats of honor, and he, he gets on them. He calls them out. He says, hey, 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 don't do that. Don't strive for the seats of honor. They might be reserved for someone else, and then you're going to get kicked out anyway. Look what it says in verse 9. The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you're going to be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Did any of you happen to see the, uh, the, the little film clip uh, that went viral? It was, it was the after Super Bowl party, and Brittany uh, Mahomes and Blake and whoever her other girlfriends are sitting around this table. This is an after Super Bowl party, <laughs> and Jackson Mahomes, past brother, is over, and he's trying to get to the table. Did anyone see this? Did anyone see this video? There's a security guard as Jackson Mahomes starts to go to that table, the security guard steps in front of him, says no, says no. So then, then it shows Brittany, who's over there at the table of honor, all right, and she's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, she probably didn't want him there anyway, but that, that's an example there, said, trying to get to a seat of honor, and then you're embarrassed because they won't let you go there or they make you get up and go away. That's what Jesus was talking about. Then, after rebuking those who are trying to get to the seats of honor, Then he turns to the host. Keep in mind, Jesus is an invited guest. 
First he rebukes, he, gets, he calls out the people around the table. Then he points to the, the host, the one who invited him, and he says this. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Verse 13. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In other words, hey, look, don't just invite your rich friends. And business, they're, they're probably going to return the invitation. In fact, they, they likely will. So, so when, you, when you have a dinner party, don't just invite those that you know can return the favor. Because if that's the case, then you're, you've got your reward. That's it. He said, but if you don't do that, if you'll re- invite those who aren't expecting to get a seat around the table. Verse 14, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. What's it mean to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus? It means to love people the way that that Jesus loved people. How did Jesus love people? Jesus loved people by making sure that there was a seat at the table for everyone, everyone that wanted to come and sit at the table. That's how Jesus loved people. So picture this. Jesus is at this huge banquet sitting around a large table, some of the local officials, bigwigs in town. And first he calls out those sitting around the table because they're trying to fight for the seats of honor. Then he, then he calls out the host for just inviting, you know, all of his friends. And this is about the time someone sitting at the dinner table turns and says, who invited this guy? Right? I mean, seriously, Jesus is an invited guest and here he is coming in here and taking over and getting on all these people, right? About that time, one of the guests sitting at the table, after Jesus calls out those sitting around the table and, and the, the, uh, the host of the banquet, someone stood up or someone spoke out, said, hearing this, hearing how Jesus had just corrected these folks, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, that phrase, banquet in the kingdom of God, would have been a familiar phrase to the Jewish mindset. It was a reference to the chosen ones of God, which to the Jewish mindset meant them. You know, that They were the chosen ones of God. In fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this banquet that Jesus called the marriage supper of the lamb that will take place on the day of judgment. Upon hearing this, all right, this, this guy gets up and makes that comment, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Upon hearing this, Jesus, the master teacher, seizes the moment, and he begins telling the story about another banquet. All right? And that begins in verse 18. Excuse me, verse 17. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to go tell the guests, come. The banquet is ready. Verse 18. But they all begin making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Okay, time out. Hold on. Folks, uh, there is no way that guy or anyone else for that matter is going to go buy a field sight unseen. You understand, field, property was like a family's legacy. So if someone sold a parcel of land, it likely had altars on it. There could have been tombstones from their family members that had been buried there. The point being, no one's going to buy a field. That would be the equivalent of going out and buying a house sight unseen. How many of you would do that? No one would do that. I'm trying to point out the ludicrousy of this excuse, how lame it was. So, no, I, I, got a, I just bought a house. I need to go. I bought this 
land. I need to go check it out, right? No, that's, that, was just, that, that was just a lame excuse. But wait, they get better. You thought that excuse was good? Listen to this one. Verse 19, another said, after receiving that invitation to come to the banquet, another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to go try them out. Please excuse me. Again, here, here's another lame excuse. Oxen, oxen were a huge investment back then. People used oxen for transportation. People used oxen for plowing, for, for utilitarian uses around the house, for mechanical uses, which, which meant, again, people weighed their, their, their purchase of oxen very carefully. It'd kind of be the equivalent of if you were going out and buying a pickup today, right? Again, you wouldn't go buy a pickup sight unseen, right? Oh, I just bought a pickup. I need to go check it out. No, no, no. You go by and pick up, you're going to kick the tires, you're going to walk around it, you're going to test drive it. Again, I just want you to see the ludicrousy of these excuses. All right, they get better. Here's the third one, verse 20. Another, after receiving that invitation, another said, you ladies are going to love this one, I just got married, so I can't come. Really, you got to love that guy, right? Throws his wife under the bus, right? You can't come because you just got married. He didn't even ask if he could bring his wife, did he? Up, busted. He did not even ask if he could bring his wife. He just used that lame excuse. Oh, I just got married, right? The point being, these are all lame excuses. Here's why we're told at the beginning of the parable how the host of the banquet first sent out invitations. Then when the table was prepared, he sent his servant out with a personal follow-up reminder. Hey, look, this wasn't, this wasn't one of those, hey, we're throwing some steaks on the grill Friday, come on over. No, no, no. This was, think, think wedding invitation. No one sends out wedding invitations the week of, right? No one does that. So this was more something like, like wedding invitations. In that culture, the host of the banquet or dinner would make up a bunch of personal invitations, and then they would send their servant or their servants out to deliver those personal handwritten invitations, giving everyone time to mark it on their calendar to make sure they could come. Then, and then depending on how long away that the banquet was, but it was usually a while, it wasn't you know, the same weeks, usually probably not even the same month. But after those invitations were sent out by his servants, a little bit later, weeks, months later, they would send the servants out again as a reminder, a follow-up. Hey, just letting you know, hey, just letting you know that you know, we're about ready to have the banquet just make sure that you're going to come there, right? The point being, for anyone who received an invitation to attend the banquet, not to attend at this point, it would have been an insult. It would have been an insult to the host, right? They would have Because they had not one, they had two invitations with plenty of time in between to RSVP. Yet none of them, none of them bothered to RSVP. Verse 21, Luke 14, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, everyone say this next word with me, go. Let's say it again, go. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And Jesus wasn't just speaking physically when he used those categories of people. That was a reference to their spiritual condition as well. Verses 22 and 23. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, then go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Verse 24, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. 
All right, there's a lot to unpack in this parable. Uh, Jesus is clearly referring to the marriage supper of the Lamb that day when God splits the clouds in the sky, and those who accepted his invitation will go and take their seat at that table around the Lord. But the parable also speaks to another thing. It speaks to the rejection of Jesus by his own people. The rejection of Jesus by his own people. Jesus clearly shows that by rejecting the dinner invitation, The people weren't just rejecting him. Watch this. They weren't just rejecting him. They were also rejecting the opportunity to spend eternity in his presence. John 1, verses 10 and 11. He, speaking of Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, those who accepted that invitation, He gave the right to become children of God. Literal translation, your free will is a part of this process, people. Your free will is a part of the God's, you can send the invitation, but you've got to RSVP. Your free will is a part of this process. So it speaks of the, the parable speaks to the rejection of Jesus by his own people. Second, it speaks to those who have lost their spiritual appetite due to other distractions and other desires. It speaks to those who have lost their spiritual appetite due to other distractions and other desires. I want to remind you that, you know, you're feeding your soul with something every day. Did you know that? You are. You're feeding your soul with something every day. Could be your entertainment, your friendships, your activities. And if you feed your soul to the limit, listen, this is is huge. If you stuff yourself with other things and don't leave room to eat something when you come to God's table... You're going to lose your appetite for the things of God. Because how many of you know, God's got a menu and the world has a menu. And, and all too often, people try to, to fill that hunger from the wrong menu. And you end up just eating empty calories and you come back again and again. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You eat of this, you won't ever hunger again. All right? So it speaks to the rejection of Jesus by his own people. It, it, it speaks to those who have lost their spiritual appetite. All right? Matthew 4, 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am, I am the bread of life, the basic staple of life around the world. Bread is the staple of life anywhere in the world. Jesus said, I am that staple. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he doubled down on this. Jesus doubled down on this in the Beatitudes when he said this, blessed are you who have appetites for God. Actually, the way he said it was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But he was referring to the same idea. So question, how's your appetite? How's your appetite? What are you feeding your soul, your spirit? Because if it's anything other than the bread of life, Jesus, not me, Jesus said that you're just filling yourself with empty calories. Here's how Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, put it. In Proverbs 27, verse 7, he said, A person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. Honey was considered a a dessert delicacy in that culture. Solomon says, To the hungry soul, even the bitter thing is sweet. As it applies to what we're talking about this morning, what Solomon is saying here is, you know, if you're feeding your soul at the world's table, then when you come to the Lord's table, you're going to be like, nah, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm full. That's like sometimes you invite someone to church. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Say, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Hey, we're having a night of worship uh, next month. Nah, 
I'm good. Thanks for the invite, but, but I'm good. Hey, you should come to our growth group this week. Nah, I'm good. Thanks for the invite. How's your appetite? How's your appetite? This parable speaks to the rejection of Jesus by his own people. It speaks to those who have lost their spiritual appetite due to other distractions and desires. And third, and most importantly, this parable speaks to those who never had a seat at the table and don't think they belong at the table. You know, there might be some sitting in here this morning who feel like this. People who don't feel like you fit in with church people, right? However you, however you want to define church people. If that's you, if you're here and you don't really feel like you fit in, like you're not a church person, this is your lucky day because you are the one that Jesus specifically said, go out and get them. Those are the ones I want. Go out and get the ones that don't think they belong here. That's who I want to come to my table, right? Those who don't feel like they fit in. Dear ones, be in the easiest place. And this is our big idea for this morning's message. Being the easiest place to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus means making sure people know that there's a seat at the table for them. People need to know that. And eliminating as many obstacles as we can, as many hindrances that prevent people from taking their seat at the table. So how do we do this? How, how do we uh, do these different things to, to, to make family church the easiest place? Well, really, it's... It's not as complicated as you think. In fact, you experience it. If you come to church here, you actually experience it every week, every week, every week. Because ultimately, the only way you're going to recognize the empty calories that you've been feeding yourself at the world's table, the only reason you're going to recognize that is if the Holy Spirit shows you. So how do we do that? First thing we do is we pray for you. We pray for you. We have prayed for every single one of you in here. We didn't know your names, but we've been praying for this Sunday for a long time. We pray. The first step in becoming the easiest place is prayer. John 6, Jesus said, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. So the foundation for being the easiest place is prayer. We pray for you that the Holy Spirit would lead you here. Then, having prayed for you and believing God to bring you here, our dream teams take over. And, and, and they begin to set the table for you. How do we set the table? Well, again, it's, it's very practical uh, through things like our first impressions teams, first impression team. These are the folks who greet you with a smile and a hug when you come walking up to the building today. They're the ones who serve you, uh, well, we don't do it here, coffee and hot chocolate. We do that in, in Wellsville, but they're the ones who kind of help you, show you, you know, the, around if you have kids. They'll show you where to go to check your kids in, where to sign them in and so forth. So it's just those people that help you feel welcome. Uh, another way we do it is family kids. Speaking of kids, our family kids ministry. You should know that we don't just babysit your kids. We pray with them. We pray for them. We teach them the Bible in, in, in hopes that one day that they'll always look to the bread of life for their sustenance and strength. Through our, another way that we try to be the easiest place is through our AVL and worship. These are the folks that help put, to, put together a powerful and engaging worship service. An engaging worship service, not just for those meeting here, but for our online. We have a lot. We have quite a few people that watch online every week. And, and those people really need to thank God for our ABL and worship team because they do a wonderful job. You guys need to know it is hard, hard, hard to put together an engaging worship service online. And if you watched any other worship services, you know ours is, ours is really good. And a lot of churches don't even do the worship part because that's even harder to do. But our worship team is committed to putting together an exceptional, an exceptional online worship experience. Why? 
because we want to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So our ADL and worship, our growth groups, our growth groups is another way that we seek to be the easiest place. You weren't made to do life alone. That's why circles are better than rows because circles is where you can take off your mask and get real with people. Circles is when you can kind of share about your struggles and your victories, talk about what you're going through. And you know what? When you do that, when you take your mask off and begin to share with someone else, you know what? You know what you're going to hear? You're not going to hear, oh, wow, you did that. You're, you're, you're going to hear, wow, you too? You too? I thought I was the only one that struggled with that. Man, it's good to know. It's good to know that someone else is struggling with that as well. That's part of being the easiest places is getting plugged into a growth group so you can have some accountability. If you haven't joined one of our growth groups, there's still time. Most groups have already started meeting, but they've only been meeting a couple of weeks. So do yourself a favor and sometime before the end of the day, go to familychurch.xyz forward slash groups and sign up. Find your seat at the table of one of our growth groups. I'm in two growth groups. Uh, I, I lead one at, at Scott and Lisa McDaniels that meets on Wednesday evening, the Empty Nesters uh, growth group. I lead that one, but I also am part of one we have on uh, Wednesday mornings at 6.15 at the church for all the guys. It's called Family Guy. Just out of curiosity, how many, of you, how many guys have been to Family Guy? Uh, yeah, you know what? This, uh, this, is, really an, this is probably in a, in a nutshell kind of as a picture of the miracle in motion that Family Church is. Because you think about this. You got about 12 or 15 guys all right, come together, we sit around the room, and we read the Bible. Doesn't that sound like fun? But it really is. It really is. And if you guys that have come, you know, that's just a God thing that we can be able to, number one, get up at 615, right, and then come and read the Bible. But it is one of the most rewarding, it's the highlight of my week. So guys, if you have, we got guys from Baldwin that drive over there. I mean, that's how committed they are. So seriously, guys, Consider coming to that if you can, if you can work it into your schedule, right? So family guy, that, that's just another example of, of being the easiest place. But honestly, right now, right now, I think the best illustration of us trying to be the easiest place in this is this, is this group of people right here. We, they highlighted it, the, the Baldwin launch team. For those of you who uh, live in or around Baldwin, we set the table for you by converting a school auditorium and cafeteria into a church and classrooms and nursery. And you should know that many of these folks that have been doing this got here at 7.30 this morning. And you know what? When you're working on your second taco at La Patrona or whatever, they're, they're going to be here tearing down. El Patron, what is it? Whatever it's called. Um, they got here at 7.30, and they're going to be here till the middle of the afternoon, tearing down. Why? Because that's what disciples do. Amen. Disciples serve other disciples. That's part of being the easiest place, the easiest place. So these are just a few of the ways that we set the table and pursue our mission of being the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in all of those slides that they showed, there was a common denominator in each of those pictures. And that common denominator was many of you. Many of you. My point being, we need you to continue to pursue our mission of being the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Some had a pastor tell me one time, don't tell the people that you need them. You know, tell them that they've got an opportunity. 
And I said, let me think about that. Uh, no, we need you. I'm sorry, we need you. Yeah, that's an opportunity, but I'm, we need you. We need you to continue doing what we do of being the easiest place. Think about this. Each week has 168 hours. For 162 of those hours, this building right here that we're in is a school auditorium. But for six hours every week, you convert it to a church, not just by setting up, but also by being present here and serving and worshiping God. When God sets his table, here's my point. When God sets his table, he uses you to do it. And reality is, the people who are far from God don't find a place at his table until the servants of the Lord set the table first. Part of making disciples is serving disciples because it's in our serving. It's in our serving that people's needs are met and it's in our serving that we are most like Jesus who himself said he didn't come to be, served, or to be served, but to serve others. We are never more like Jesus than when we're serving other people. So yes, we do need you to continue to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus. One of our core values is saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. And the only way we'll continue to be the easiest place is when you step up to the plate and begin to serve. Set, set the table. How? By joining one of our dream teams. Send, send out invitations. Start inviting people to church. Serve, serve those who find their place at the table. When new people come and find their place at the table, then you serve them like you were served when you first came. And as we serve them, help them take their next step from being served to joining one of our dream teams and begin serving others in the same way that they were served. But look, I, look, I understand that you know part of the church experience is what you get out of it. I mean, that, that's how it works. I mean, I, I get it. That I understand how that works. I rejoice in the fact that many of you have come to the Lord since finding your seat at the table here at Family Church. I rejoice in the fact that many of you have had your marriage healed or a family relationship healed since you found your seat at the table here at Family Church. I rejoice with those who have maybe found a sense of purpose since finding your seat at the table here at Family Church. Some of you came out of a toxic relationship. Some of you came out of an addiction or some other life-controlling issue. Some of you came out of an authoritarian or, or messed up church that was not life-giving, but life-taking and judgmental. And frankly, that's why a lot of you walked away from church at some point. And you just, you just need healing for, for your soul. And that's okay. That's okay. If that's you, that's okay. We want to walk with you through that journey. We want you to get healed. We want to set a place at the table, let you sit down and begin to nourish on the bread of life, Jesus. But, but there comes a point. There comes a point when you get that strength and sustenance from feasting on Jesus, you know what that strength is for? That's so you can push away from the table and get up and begin setting, sending, and serving others. That's how it works. That's how it works. Being the easiest place is helping people find their seat at the table of the Lord. And then after having eaten, begin to serve others the way that they were served. Watch this video and then we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, when we were married and after, after Healy came along, we'd kind of bounce around from church to church and found one where we were comfortable, but we weren't like completely sold out for it. We, we would find any excuse we could not to go to church. After coming to family church a few weeks, 
in the sermon, Pastor Curtis said to take a look around the people sitting in here with you. It says, what they think of you doesn't matter. And he said, what I think of you doesn't matter. What really matters is your relationship with Jesus. And I knew at that moment that I I didn't want to be any, any other church. I didn't want to go anywhere else. I knew then that this was truly the, the right church for me and my family. The saying here is, uh, family church, you belong here. And they treat you that way. The congregation, uh, the people that serve here, everyone treats you that way when you walk through the door. I feel like it's a family every Sunday when we come here. I've always had apprehensions about church uh, because of my past. I always lived for myself. I lived uh, just kind of for the moment, doing what I wanted when I wanted. So I was kind of worried about being judged. I didn't want to feel like an outcast. I didn't want to be looked down at. But coming to family church, even that very first time, I've never felt that way. You truly have a seat at the table at family church. You know, it's been been great having Jared and Jen and Healy join with us at Family Church, but you know what? Even they would tell you that it hasn't been smooth sailing for them, even after coming to the the Lord's table. Even after coming to the Lord's table, they've hit some bumps, like all of us, like all of us have. See, the thing is, Jesus never promised to keep us from storms. What he promised is that he would be our shelter and never leave us or forsake us while we're in the storm. That's what he promised. Like you, like me, we all deal with the tough stuff of life. The difference is, listen, listen, the difference for the Stonequists is now they have a seat at the table. So they have that support. So when they go through those storms, they've got that support. Other people sitting around the table that can encourage them and pray with them and help them as they navigate that. So... When you eat the bread of life from the Lord's table, you get the strength and nourishment to push yourself back from that table and get up and go and start setting, sending, and serving. Setting the table for others. Sending out invitations and serving them when the Holy Spirit draws them in. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Lord, for those here today who've been maybe feasting at your table and but really haven't taken that next step or those next steps of setting, sending, and serving, I pray that they would be willing to invite you into that conversation. And as they do, I pray that you would show them their role, their place in the body of Christ, because everyone has a role. Your Bible says that. Everyone has a role. You've gifted each of us uniquely to serve in your body. So as you begin to show people that, where they should begin serving and setting more places around the table, draw them closer to each other and closer to you. And for those here today, maybe, maybe you're far from God. Maybe you don't have a seat at the table. You know, you're just one heartfelt prayer away from finding your seat at the table. 
if you would just be willing to pray this prayer after me. Don't just pray it, but believe it in your heart. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. So if that's you and you're ready to come to the table, if you would just pray this prayer with me to say, Lord Jesus, my life's broken. It's messed up. I can't fix it because I've tried. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, the things I've done, the things I've said that have separated me and worked against your will and purpose for my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for me, and that he rose from the dead for me. And right now I give you my life, Jesus, and I receive your life in return. Thank you for saving me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me begin serving you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.